welcome to Bridges Community Church. Thanks for joining us. Whether you're with us here on campus, outside on our patio, inside our worship center, or whether you're joining us online, we are glad you are here. Our services will begin in just a few moments, but before we start, we'd like to tell you about some of the things happening around our church. Friends, I hope that you will put March the 12th, uh, it's a Saturday on your calendar. Coming up here in just a few weeks, we are going to be participating in the annual Walk for Life with Real Options. Uh, it's a wonderful ministry that provides love and practical support and empathy and care for uh, women who are facing unplanned pregnancies. And so we are coming alongside this ministry once again to say that we believe in what they are doing and we are trying to raise awareness and funds to go towards this ministry as they seek to raise up a culture of life. We believe that life begins in the womb, that life is created by God and that life is valuable to God and that these children, these unborn children matter to God, but also their mothers and their families do as well. So we believe in what Real Options is doing. You can go to bridges.info to find out about the walk for life. We're gonna be doing a walk here on this campus and then around the neighborhood on the morning of March the 12th, Saturday, March the 12th. You can find out about that at bridges.info. You'll also find a link there where you can give. We're asking for people to give because our goal as a church body is $12,000. Uh, we wanna raise that money because it's specifically gonna to go to help fund some of their nurses from Real Options to go to some upcoming trainings that cost quite a bit of money. We want to support them in this way. We believe that we can raise that amount of money with your help and through God's favor. So join us as we celebrate the Walk for Life on March the 12th. Go to bridges.info to learn more. Hi, I'm Lilia Gore, Nursery Coordinator here at Bridges Community Church. We need your help. The nursery is looking for warm and loving volunteers to help care for our babies during Sunday mornings. There are many opportunities during first and second service times on a weekly, monthly, or quarterly basis. Would you please pray about this? And if you're interested or have any questions, please call the church office or email me at lilia at bridges.church. I'm looking forward to serving with you and thank you for your attention. We have started our six-week series entitled A Better Story, which is how to enter into six different conversations the world is already having in a way that shows Jesus as a better story. We're uh, partnering our sermon series with our life group material for this series uh, as a whole church-wide focus. And so we want you in a life group. Even though we have already begun this material, we still want you to get into a life group for the remaining weeks. So you can find um, a list of our life groups if you're here in person out at the welcome table in, in our lobby, or you can find them online. But we want you to get in a group so you can be discussing this material and you can get everything out of it that you possibly can.
Good morning. Thanks for joining us. Let's all stand as we sing together this morning.
morning, everybody. Thank you for being here. We want to take a, some time uh, to just say a few words about some things that are coming up that I know that you all will want to take advantage of in terms of expressing compassion for what's happening uh, over in Ukraine right now. I want to bring to your attention a couple different opportunities for you all that I'll remind you about at the end of our 
service, and then I want to spend just a few moments in prayer, and I know that you all have been praying, and will be praying, and will continue uh, to pray. So first, I want to tell you that next Sunday, uh, we have an opportunity, thanks to the Panthulus and the Much Hope Ministry, they are organizing um, a, a collection that is in coordination with uh, an organization that is in San Jose that is going to be taking much-needed emergency supplies, specifically medical supplies, right, uh, over to the Ukrainian border there uh, on the border of Poland um, in the coming days. And so we have an opportunity, again, thanks to the Panthulus for organizing this, to jump in and to provide something. If you're not sure what did, that you can do, I know that either Sujana or Suresh would be happy to talk to folks um, about that, but that is going to be next Sunday, this gathering is going to be where we're collecting supplies from 1 to 3 p.m. out in the church parking lot. And there's a list of things that you can buy. It can be as simple as some like small first aid kits and things like that. But they want to make sure, and this organization that Much Hope is uh, working with is going to make sure that those supplies get into the hands of people who need uh, those supplies. And so that's one way that you and I can participate. Next Sunday from 1 to 3, those collections will come in. If you don't have time to go get something, I'm sure that uh, these folks, if you were to give them a contribution, cash or something like that, that they could make use of that and go buy things, right, in the store and that kind of thing. But just if you're not sure what to bring, you can become a part of Much Hope's email newsletter that goes out. You can also follow on Facebook. There's ways to find out what are the specific things to buy. But John and Suresh are over here, and you can come talk to them uh, after the service. In case, I, I, I think everybody knows who they are, but just, like, can you guys, like, wave your hands real quick? Thank you guys for organizing that. So you can come talk over there to them after the service if you want to know more. Thank you for being a part of that. Uh, there are other ways to be a part of what God is doing right now and what we're praying for God to do over there. Uh, certainly, um, you can uh, connect with some of our uh, mission partners. This is one of those times when those relationships really come in handy. Uh, and Ellen Zito uh, was gracious enough to connect me uh, after many uh, attempts that I've tried to connect with Eric and Beth Yotis. They are some missionaries that we support with World Venture, um, and they are part of church planting in Ukraine. They are here domestically, but they are part of church planting efforts in Ukraine. And I finally had the chance on Friday. We broke through our uh, their travel and through just plain phone tag, and we Eric and I spent some good time over the phone just talking about. Uh, the needs over there, and he was gracious enough to direct me to some things that you all may want to know at worldventure.com, worldventure.com, you'll see a link at the very top that says hashtag pray for Ukraine, and they have a prayer guide that you can go there if you go to that page. They have some links that you can give that go directly to uh, World Venture's refugee efforts. Uh, they have uh, different videos there and guides as to what's happening uh, over there. And I told Eric that we would be praying. I'm going to stay in touch with him. I was hoping to organize some kind of a Zoom recording or whatever with him that I could show to you all today. But they are in a bunch of different churches right now. And so in a few weeks, he's promised that he would get back to me and we can organize perhaps some kind of a conversation where you and I can have a Q&A with him, which would be really, really wonderful. So many ways to get involved, but one thing we can all do is we can pray. And specifically, Eric was encouraging us to pray for the churches in Ukraine because right now people are turning to the churches. 
and there are open doors right now. So we want to pray for those open doors to continue. We want to pray for physical needs to be met. We want to pray for spiritual needs to be met. We want to pray for an end to this violence and to this conflict and that reasonable heads uh, would put their heads together as to why this is not a positive thing right now. We want to pray for the hurting right now in our country. I know many of you are hurting watching uh, what's going on over there. So let's pray and uh, let's participate generously in these other opportunities. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for um, the gift of life. We can so easily take it for granted, but when we see violence and people who go to bed not knowing if they're even going to wake up in the morning, Lord, because of violence in a in a, in a region. Um, people don't know if they're going to have meals the next week or even the next day. Clean water. People who are concerned about their children, people who've been separated from families. And there's just great uncertainty. But Father, you are certain and you are a good God. And we ask that you would continue. At, we know you've already been at work. We ask that you would continue to be at work. We ask for an end to this conflict. We ask that you would turn the hearts of those who are um, causing this violence, Lord. Turn them away from this path and this plan. And we pray that you would thwart the schemes of evildoers. We pray that you, God, would bring justice and light and life and help. We pray that the offering that is collected next week uh, between one to three, just kind of collecting supplies, even just that effort, Lord, that you would multiply like you did the, the loaves and the fish, that you would multiply those supplies that they would get into the hands of people who need them most. I pray that we would think spiritually and think like people of the kingdom before we think politically or anything else, that we would realize that we are first and foremost children of God who are called to lift up our brothers and sisters in distress. And so, Lord, we do that, asking you to intervene, asking for miracles, asking for the gospel to go forth, asking for you to bring hope, asking for you to use the churches and the pastors and the missionaries and church planners in that region, that the believers would be a place of refuge, that the, the light of Jesus Christ would shine brightly in that region, God. We commit that over to you and pray that in the coming days, Lord, that you would draw us near with empathy to uh, identify with those who are struggling and to put our hope in you alone. Lord, we offer all these prayers up in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. All God's people said, amen. Thank you. Let's continue our time in a, a spirit and a posture of prayer. So whatever uh, posture of prayer you'd like to take uh, right now as we sing together, let's sing these words uh, as if we're praying. Uh, so if you want to stay seated, hands open, uh, hands folded, stand, uh, arms open, looking to the heavens, um, whatever works for you. But let's sing as a prayer. Lord, I come, I confess. Bowing here, I find my rest. Without you, I fall apart. You're the one that guides my heart. Lord, I
and have a seat if you're standing. And uh, if you've been here over the last uh, couple weeks or if you were here this morning and heard the video announcement, you know that we are beginning today a new series called A Better Story, uh, Ways to Talk About Our Faith. And uh, as I was reading through the, the Psalms this week, uh, one of them popped out. Many of them popped out. Uh, but Psalm 105 really spoke to me. As, as we're reading uh, through the Psalms and you hear all these instructions, give thanks, rejoice, sing to the Lord. And this one gives that instruction. And then in uh, the beginning of verse 1 and verse 2, it gives another instruction. And that's to tell others. So Psalm 105, 1 and 2 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him, sing praises to him, and tell of all his wondrous works. So uh, we have a, a song for you this morning. It's a new song. So as you learn it, go ahead and uh, start singing along with us. Uh, but let us to remember to, to be glad, to rejoice, to sing, but also to tell of his wondrous works. Thank you. 
At this time, we're going to dismiss our elementary school students off to Sunday school with Miss Alba in the back.
John chapter 13, verses 3 to 9. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Uh, Well, as Nate said, we're beginning a new uh, series today entitled A Better Story. What Nate didn't tell you, um, and you wouldn't have known unless you were really paying attention to uh, our slides, is we always give credit to the um, composer and songwriter on the slides, uh, whoever wrote the song, it was a long time ago, and uh, that A Better Story song uh, was written by Nate and Laura. That's pretty cool, right? Yeah, it was like in my head this week. And then I told Nate, I was like, I have your song in my head. That's awesome, right? So tell them they did a good job because they did. Um, Our primary goal with this series uh, is to help Christians be able to share their faith in a thoughtful and compelling way to non-Christians. We found uh, most Christians want to be able to share their faith with their friends, neighbors, colleagues. But whenever they try, they either don't know what to say, uh, or it all comes out wrong, or it feels forced, and it's awkward, and it's ineffective. Um, So Christians feel kind of bound up, like we can't share our faith. And therefore, our friends, neighbors, and colleagues are missing the greatest treasure that exists, And when we think about that, we feel a little guilty. Um, But at the same time, we also feel justified staying quiet because we're convinced there is no way to share our faith that won't push people away or that won't ruin a relationship. Um, That's our experience. That's what's happened in our life. Can you relate to that? Uh, If so, we want to help. We want this series to help. Uh, We want to give you some tools or perhaps just a way to think about sharing your faith that hopefully flows naturally into conversations that you are already having um, and and in a way that doesn't ruin anything and doesn't push people away from Christ, but makes them more curious about Christ, that doesn't end a friendship, but that, if anything, deepens a friendship. That's our primary goal, which is a big goal. Uh, So for six Sundays, including today, we are going to walk through six different conversations that you are likely already having um, and give you ways in which you can share your faith in Christ in the context of those conversations. Uh, The six conversations are power, which is today, the vulnerable, purpose, justice, friendship, and self-worth. 
and we'll spend one week on each one of those topics. And I'm telling you, our friends, neighbors, colleagues already talk about these six really weighty themes. Uh, you can tell these are not superficial topics. Um, it's not like, what's your favorite place for ice cream? We're not bridging to Christ from that. Uh, these are weighty, which means they are likely only conversations that you are going to have with people that you're already pretty close to. This series will probably not help us with cold call evangelism, like you walk up to random people and tell them about Jesus. Um, that's not what we're trying to do here. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I think that's great. You see that all the time in Scripture. That's just not what we're trying to help you with in this particular series. We are trying to help you bridge from conversations you are already having with your friends, neighbors, peers that they bring up, which means they are willing to have a conversation about that topic because they brought it up which then gives us permission to share our perspective on that topic. And then here's the best part. On all these topics, power, the vulnerable, purpose, justice, friendship, self-worth, Jesus is a better story. He really is far superior to any other perspective on these topics. But don't get ahead of me, okay? Uh, when we share how Jesus is a better story, it is not like, ha, ha, I have a better story than you. It's not that. It's not arrogant. Because I know what some of you are thinking. You just want some way to prove other people wrong and show yourself as smarter. You want to uh, posture yourself as the true intellectual heavyweight. Um, and that is not what we are doing. That is not the purpose of this material. Instead, we are presenting Christ as beautiful as he is. That is our primary goal. Madeline Engel said in her book, uh, Walking on Water, she says, we do not draw people to Christ, we do not draw people to Christ by loudly discrediting what they believe or by telling them how wrong they are and how right we are. That's not how we do it. But, she says, we draw people to Christ by showing them a light that is so lovely that they want with all their hearts to know the source of it. That's our primary goal. She said it better than I can. Uh, be able to articulate Christ as beautiful as he is to people who do not know him. That's our primary goal. But our secondary goal is to help all of us here, whether we are Christian or not, to develop our own faith. You might be a Christian, but you might not think that Christianity is a better story on the topics of power, the vulnerable, purpose, justice, friendship, and self-worth. You might think that Christianity is out of date or irrelevant to our everyday lives. Maybe you only participate in Christianity because it's your tradition or your heritage or it's some kind of ritual for you, and you are not often inspired by Jesus. Or you might not be a Christian at all, and you might be wondering what this Christianity thing is all about. Like, how did Christianity grow from a tiny persecuted sect of a minority religion in the corner of an empire? How did it grow from that to be the most practiced faith in the world? Like, why did it win out over so many other ideologies? 
why do some serious intellectuals still hold on to it? I mean, for for real, hasn't uh, Reddit and Twitter disproven Christianity like a million times? What is still so compelling about it for so many people? That's our secondary goal. First goal, how to share it. Second goal, develop our own faith. That's what we're doing for six Sundays. So let's get to it. Power. Uh, As we study our text for today, which is a pretty famous account, um, Jesus washes his disciples' feet. It's pretty famous. We will see, one, the newness of Jesus' approach to power, and two, our need for Jesus' approach to power. The newness of and the need for Jesus' approach to power. And along the way, we'll give some very specific examples of how to share Jesus' approach to power with our friends, neighbors, colleagues. So first, the newness of Jesus' approach to power. Jesus says he's going to wash Peter's feet, and Peter freaks out. Peter says, you shall never wash my feet. Peter is offended by the notion that Jesus would serve him in such a way. It shocks Peter so much that he yells at Jesus. You, my master and my teacher, are going to serve me? Absolutely not, he says. It was unconscionable to Peter. But today... Generally, we think that's what leaders should do. Not specifically wash feet. That's disgusting. Um, It was then, too. But we think leaders should serve those that they lead. We, We think leaders shouldn't be served. We think they should serve. That's what we think. But Peter thought the opposite. Which means we don't realize how formed by Christianity that we are. It feels natural to us that leaders should use their power to elevate those around them. You take a leadership class and talk about what should leaders do with their power. Um, It's empower others. By the way, that wasn't in leadership literature until 1977 when Robert Greenleaf wrote it. Didn't happen in leadership literature until then. Okay, but now we think that's what leaders should do. It just seems intuitive, right? Now... In fact, we feel repulsed by leaders who use their power to keep themselves in power. We feel repulsed by leaders who would use their power to squash others. We think there's something wrong with that, and we refuse to work for people like that. Like if a company is going bankrupt, but the CEO has somehow managed uh, to give him or or herself a million-dollar raise kind of on the way out as the sink ships, we're like, that's messed up. Right? We say... Shouldn't people use their power not to benefit themselves, but instead, shouldn't they use their power to benefit others? Like, wouldn't that be better? I mean, it's not like a law or something, but it just seems like the right thing to do. It seems like the right thing to do to us because whether we realize it or not, we have been Christianized. The idea that a leader would give up his or her power in order to empower others, that was not a thing before Jesus. Think about it. At the time of Jesus, what were leaders doing? What was Rome doing? Rome was expanding through military conquest. Like, who can we pummel and force into servitude? That was part of the glory of Rome, right? Dominating others. 
You look at Roman gods or the Greek gods. They, they are always fighting with each other to gain more power for themselves. <laughs> they literally idolized um, gods who would do that. It, it was virtuous to them to conquer and dominate. And if you were a servant in ancient times, it was only because you had been defeated somehow. Servitude meant that you had lost Maybe you lost the genetic lottery, the family you're born into. You lost in a literal battle. You made bad financial decisions, and now you needed to sell yourself into servitude. It was never, ever a good thing to be a servant. You would never voluntarily lower your status. If you did, it would be like humiliating yourself. It's why Peter freaks out. Lord, you're making a fool out of yourself. You're acting as if you've been conquered. Don't don't do that, Jesus. Now, of course, you could help people from your position of power. That was seen as good. Help wasn't bad. But you wouldn't do it at the cost of your dignity. Um, you wouldn't do it by the cost of lowering your position um, in, the, in the eyes of others. Like the, you notice the disciples never fussed when Jesus heals people or feeds people. He's like, that's great because he's not humiliating himself. So charity was not new. Even sacrifice was not new because it could be costly to help people sometimes. But lowering yourself, giving up your status and its perks, that was new. This is trackable in history. Before Jesus, becoming a servant or a leader dropping in status was only described in a negative context. Um, if you once had power and now you didn't have power for some reason, it was only negative, always no exceptions. Um, John Dixon, PhD in ancient history, is a visiting academic at Oxford, uh, serves full-time in Melbourne, though, generally acknowledged as being one of the first on the scene to document the utter uniqueness of Jesus in the uh, ancient Greco-Roman world. He writes, lowering oneself before an equal was not regarded as morally advisable or sound. And he claims the term for humility used in the New Testament never carried a positive connotation in Greco-Roman literature. He says the Greco-Roman world and the Israelites before them would sometimes celebrate leaders who practice a moderation of their power for the sake of others, but humility, on the other hand, involves not a moderation of power and status, but a deliberate foregoing of such valuable ancient commodities. For the first couple centuries after Jesus, only Christian literature painted being a servant or lowering yourself in a positive light. Like Philippians 2, you might remember, right? Consider others better than yourselves. That kind of thing, only in Christian literature, in a positive context. For centuries, it did not exist other places. People did not consider it virtuous. And it wasn't, again, until centuries after Jesus that something like consider others better than yourselves began to show up in a positive context in other types of literature. Even Richard Dawkins, some of you might know that name, he's a well-known modern atheist, um, author of numerous books attempting to dismantle faith. Especially, he likes to dismantle faith in Christianity. And he takes every opportunity he has to say something disparaging about Jesus. Um, I'd say most of the time, unfairly. But even Richard Dawkins writes in his book, The God Delusion, that Jesus' Sermon on the Mount the turn the other cheek, the love your enemies, this idea of elevating others at cost to yourself, Dawkins says, quote, was way ahead of its time 
and anticipated Gandhi and Martin Luther King by 2,000 years. No one had done it. When Jesus gets down on his knees to serve his disciples, taking the form of the lowliest servant, because only the lowest servants would wash feet, right? So Jesus didn't only lower himself, but he, he lowered himself just about as far as you could go. No one had done it. And Peter freaks out. But as we now know, it's a better story. Leaders using their power to serve those around them is a better story than leaders hoarding power for themselves. It is a better story than dominating others. It is a better story than leaders using them power, their power to make themselves look more important. It's better. And it started with Jesus. That is trackable in history. It's trackable. So, as it relates to us in evangelism, when your friend, neighbor, colleague um, says, makes a statement about power, like, these happen all the time, Kim Jong-un shouldn't starve his people to enrich himself. Putin shouldn't try to dominate Ukraine. CEOs shouldn't make the employees work 100 hours a week while they relax on a yacht. Right? People make statements about power all the time. Your friends have opinions on power, how power should be used. And they share those opinions with you. You don't need to bring it up, right? They will start the conversation. And when they do, you can respond. This is what I do. I say, so what's the proper use of power? What's the best use of power? I just ask the question. And it doesn't feel like I'm forcing my beliefs on anyone. It's just continuing the conversation that they brought up. And honestly, it's deepening the conversation. It's making it richer. I say, I, I agree. I don't think leaders should squash others to benefit themselves. Um, but what should leaders do then? Maybe I'm weird. If this doesn't work for you, like find another way. But it's not awkward for me to begin with a question. It's a natural way to move people along to Jesus. We're not to Jesus yet. This is just step one. But it's an important step. Um, and with any of these steps, listen, I'm not giving you a script to follow. I'm not telling you, like, if you say this, your friend will say that, and then you can be like, gotcha, you're a Christian now. It's not, that's not this, right? These are like living conversations with real people that we truly care about. These conversations will take much more time than anything that I could, like, diagram for you. And it won't be just one conversation. Your friends talk about power a lot especially if there's some huge issue going on in the world. So over time, you will get to interact on many different occasions, and you can share Jesus' approach to power in many different ways. I'm just trying to give you a trajectory of conversations, not a script, okay? Not a script, a trajectory. All right, so your friends are upset about how someone's using power, and you say, I agree, I agree too, I'm upset, this is ridiculous. You go back and forth for a little while on how ridiculous whatever the situation is, but then you can say, you know, now that you bring it up, how should a leader use power? To which your friends will likely give a very Christian answer, even though they don't know that it's a Christian answer. They will say something like, leaders should use their power to help others. To which you can respond, um, totally. I think so too. 
And you can give us some examples of good leaders out in the world. Maybe the best boss you ever had. Bring that person up. Um, but then you can add, you know, the world hasn't always thought that's what leaders should do with their power, right? It wasn't in leadership literature until 1977. And long before that, like dominating others was considered a virtue. Like what Putin's doing right now, once upon a time, that's what every nation did. That's what you were supposed to do. That was part of the glory of the nation. Like, who have we conquered lately? But now, we call it grotesque. We even call it evil. Why? Why is it wrong? When did the world's opinion change? We're getting deeper now. But again, for me, it's not awkward to ask that question. I'm a generally curious person. I ask questions all the time. Um, I moved to California almost six years ago. I still have all kinds of questions about California. Um, and I ask them. I'm like, I, I'm, people have lived here all their life. I'm like, hey, I got a question. Um, why doesn't every Starbucks have a drive-through? Why doesn't every bank have a drive-through ATM? Like, what do you guys have against drive-thrus out here? Did you, have you noticed this? Everywhere else, there are drive-through Starbucks and drive-through ATMs, like all over the place, and not California. I'm like, what's the deal, California? I, it's natural for me to ask questions. I just, I just do it. It just comes out of me, okay? So if that's not you, find your own way. But I'm telling you, it's pretty non-offensive to just be curious and ask. So... You've just asked, when did it become grotesque or evil to dominate others for the sake of more power? Um, because the world hasn't always been like that. I don't know what your friend will say to that. Your friends probably never thought about it before. My friends say something like, that's true, it did change. Nations used to invade and dominate. And now we've stopped. At least we've stopped calling it good. I don't know why it changed. Then usually they'll say, I guess we just figured out it works better. Like social evolution. It was trial and error over the millennia of human history, and, and we found out this is a good way to go. Um, to which you can say, I've actually heard it was Jesus who introduced this concept to the world. That it started with him. If you want to sound pretentious, you could quote John Dixon or Richard Dawkins. Um, or you could just tell the story of Jesus washing his disciples' feet. They may have heard of it before, since it's used as an example in so much leadership literature now. Or you could easily jump straight to the crucifixion, which is where Jesus gave up everything to elevate others. I mean, you want to talk about lowering your status and giving up perks in order to benefit others. That's the ultimate example, right? Crucifixion is the worst humiliation and shame that humans have ever invented, and Jesus voluntarily did it for the sake of others. That is the story. That is the Christian story. You can tell your friend, like, whether you believe it or not, man, like, that is the Christian message. The God of the universe stepped down to nothing to lift fallen humanity. That's a pretty good story. 
Now, of course, not all Christians use their power like Jesus did, unfortunately, and there have been so many examples of massive failings over like multiple centuries from numerous Christian leaders, right? There's been some really tragic events, and we don't need to pretend that those didn't happen like in Christian history, but still, God becoming nothing, even carrying our shame, is the Christian story. And now you are just able to bring that up in a conversation, We haven't said the whole story yet because we haven't gotten to our personal need for Christ, and we'll get there in a minute. But before we do, if your friend is willing to listen further, you can go further. I do, because maybe I'm weird. Um, But I say serving others isn't just what Jesus did. It's who Jesus was. It's actually the nature of God. The Christian idea of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is that each each glorify the other. Each person within the Trinity is for the other persons and is not self-serving. Each person elevates others, not self. It's who God is. It's not just what Jesus does. God is not self-serving, even within himself. Now, here's why you would bring that up, because I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, you really expect me to bring up the Trinity in a conversation with non-Christians? Come on. Okay, you don't have to, but here's why you might want to. Because if we believe that it is a virtue to lower yourself in order to raise others, if we call that good, and we do, wouldn't God, if there is one, Wouldn't God need to personify everything that is virtuous? Wouldn't God need to be like the ultimate good? And if so, only the Christian God can legitimately claim to be fully and always others-centered. Because only the Christian God is Trinity. And therefore, he is the only one who, even within himself, can always be outward-focused. He really can be all about someone else without a shred of selfishness, even within himself. Only the Trinity can pull that off. Every other God is going to be inward, self-serving, at least to some extent, to which your friend will probably say, "Uh, whatever. Um, So where are we going for lunch? Um, And this is why our aim with this material is not only to try to show that Christianity is true or interesting. Our goal is to show that Christianity is needed. These conversations must expose our personal need for Christ, or they are not evangelistic. So let's talk about the need for Jesus' approach to power. Look here, verse 8 again. Jesus tells Peter, unless I wash you, Unless I serve you, you will have no part of me. Jesus isn't introducing or isn't just introducing a new leadership model. Um, Empowering others isn't just like more effective in the workplace than being selfish. Um, What Jesus did for us is needed. It meets a need that we personally have. Not, Not just a need that humanity has like in general. Because we will much more freely admit that the general population is messed up and needs to be redeemed. 
we'll be like, oh yeah, sure, people are bad news. Um, we'll, we'll admit that way faster than we will admit I am messed up and need to be redeemed. But if we can't see that, if we don't receive what Jesus did, if we don't believe his sacrifice specifically for us on an individual level, we will have no part of him. So in our conversations, if we only say Jesus did something new, isn't that interesting in world history? We, we, we haven't done evangelism. Even if we somehow show the Trinity is a compelling and inspirational philosophical proposition, we still haven't gotten to the gospel. We haven't shared what Christ did for us, why we need it, and what our response must be. And with, again, with this material, our primary goal is to be evangelistic. So we must specifically share our need. So how do we do that? And how do we get there from having a conversation about the proper use of power? Let's review. Um, your friend says Putin is engaging in terrorism. And you're like, I agree. That's terrible. Hard to believe anyone would do that. Leaders shouldn't use their power to attack or dominate others. And your friend says, preach! Do your friends not say that? Mine don't either, actually. Um, but you, you continue. You're like, uh, so how should leaders use their power? Um, and your friend says, to help others. And then you say, preach! But then you add, why do you think we believe that? Like, where did that come from? Like nowadays, we, like, it's crazy. We so adamantly believe that leaders should not dominate others. Like that is so entrenched in our minds that even Putin must frame his attack through his propaganda that he's being def like self-defensive versus on the offensive attack. Putin, even, he, even him, he can't say, I just want my empire to grow. He can't say that. There's too much pressure around him of what a leader ought to be. Where, where did that come from? Because it wasn't always that way. Wait, do you think Genghis Khan felt that way? Do you think he had that kind of pressure on him? Like, you think Genghis Khan had to say he was defending something when he attacked? Or could he just say, I want my empire to grow? He could be boldly offensive. And people didn't question it. Yes, what do leaders do with power? So the world changed. Why did it change? Then your friend will say, oh, it just works better. And you say, yeah, it does work better. But I think it's deeper than that. And this is where we're getting to something new. There must be a deeper reason than simple, simple utility, you know, optimization of human interactions. It's got to be deeper than working better. Because we almost become emotional when we see someone with power give up their power in order to give life to someone else or help someone else. It's almost emotional for us. It strikes a chord so deep we didn't even really know it was there. When Tony Stark puts on the gauntlet and snaps his fingers. When Anna uh, turns to solid ice protecting Elsa. When Gandalf stays behind to battle the fire demon so the rest of the fellowship can escape. What do we say? Do we say, ooh, that's the optimal behavior for human interactions. That just works. Good utility there. You know, Gandalf is plunging to the depths of the earth. 
do we say, oh, yeah, it looks like that team's going to be more effective than teams whose members are out for themselves. No! That's not what we say. We know it's deeper than that. Right? The concepts of my life, my power, my influence should be used to elevate others is deeper than utility. It is written into the fabric of the universe. Similarly, when we see someone with power use that power to grab more power for themselves, right? Putin, uh, Mufasa's brother Scar in The Lion King, when Scar takes the throne from Simba. We see those things, and we know it's deeper than just inefficient, right? Yes, that type of leadership doesn't work well, of course. But that's not all, right? It's wrong, it cuts against the fabric of the universe somehow. And we know it. It's written in our hearts. The God who is other-centered, even in his most intrinsic nature, created the universe to be others-centered. And if we buck against that, we feel it. And our friends feel it too. So at this point, maybe your friends will agree, yeah, it is deeper than utility. Maybe they won't, I don't know. But either way, you can continue the Christian story for why goodness and sacrifice, humility, forsaking oneself for others is lodged so deep in our hearts is because we know we need the God of the universe to lay down his power for us. We know it's our only hope. Our trouble, our plight, worse than Anna turning to ice. It's worse than Thanos turning half the universe to ash. It's worse than the fellowship uh, facing the Balrog. We have a humiliation and a shame because of what we've done, because of our sin. And we need someone to carry that for us, to redeem us, to give us status before God that we have lost. We, in fact, need the God of the universe substituted in our place. We need Jesus to volunteer to be humiliated instead of us, to carry our shame for us, to give himself up for us. If Tony Stark, Anna, and Gandalf are good stories, and they are, because they gave up almost everything they had to save others, they didn't give up everything because they were able to hang on to their status and dignity. They didn't give up everything. If those are good stories, then Jesus giving up everything he has, including his status and dignity, in order to save us is a great story. Jesus took our place on the cross. He took the penalty that our sin deserves. He carried our shame, and then he rose to life again, showing that our sin and its penalty and its shame are gone forever because he won he beat it. He was victorious even over our darkest sin and its penalty. It did not keep him in the grave. That's our story, and it's better, and we need it. If you aren't a Christian, do you know that you need it? You do. Cry out to Jesus right now. Say, take my sin. Take its penalty. Take my shame. I trust that you have defeated it, Jesus, on the cross and raised victorious to life again over it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being a God that is not um, selfish, that is giving.
that is other-centered. Thank you for rescuing us, Lord. Thank you for valuing others above yourself in Christ, even though Christ is the most valuable. Thank you for taking our sin and its penalty and our shame. I pray that we trust you, Lord. I pray you help us articulate the goodness and brightness and beauty of you uh, to others. We pray those things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, one the symbol, one of the symbols that Jesus gave us um, to remind us all throughout history of his sacrifice is communion. Um, and traditionally, we take communion here at Bridges once a month um, at the beginning of the month. And so we will now take communion um, together. Our ushers are going to various places around the room and outside. Um, and in just a second, you can stand up and find a station um, and then come back to your seat. We, uh, even though our mask protocols are lifted, we, we still think it may not be the best to pass a tray in front of everybody and then people go <laughs> as they're passing it. It still seems like maybe we're not ready for that yet. So um, you can find your way to one of these stations and then uh, return to your seat and then I will come back up and we can all take it together um, like we are all part of one family. Communion um, is not something that actually forgives you. Um, communion is a symbol of what Jesus did, that Jesus died in our place, took, took our curse, took our shame, took our sin, took its penalty, um, and substituted himself for us. Um, let me pray and we can make our way to collect communion. Father, thank you for this symbol that you've given us. Really basic elements, Lord, food, bread, and a cup um, that any culture in the world can always use to remind themselves uh, of you, of Jesus, and what he did for us. Uh, may he be in our hearts as we take communion uh, today. It's in his name we pray.
On the night he was betrayed, Jesus met with his disciples uh, for a final meal. And after the meal, uh, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. And then he took the cup and he said, this is my blood of the New Testament or covenant poured out for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you partake of this bread and this cup, do it in remembrance of me. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice and pray that it would not only be on our hearts now as we take communion, but that we would carry it through every second uh, of our lives. Pray that in your name. Amen. Snow. He washed it white as snow. 
Friends, thank you for having joined us for this morning and worshiping with us as the body of Christ. We're glad that you're here. If you go to bridges.info, there's all the next steps that you and I could possibly need and want to encourage you to go there. Even if you're a longtime member and attender here, it's probably been a while since you've gone to bridges.info. There's all kinds of uh, great resources that are there. If you're visiting with us, though, and this is the first time you've heard me talk about bridges.info, you'll find a couple different places you'll want to know about. One is, is this is a place where people can interact with our teaching pastors, and you can communicate with us about questions you may have about the sermon. You'll find a link there at bridges.info where you can ask Dan about uh, today's message, anything that's on your heart. I know that he would love to interact with you. You can do that at bridges.info. You can also, we want everybody here to be a part of a group to participate in this six-week um, all-church study. And so it would be important for us, if you're not a part of a group, to find out how we can best help you to get into a group. I think it's important for us to have more than just simply pew interactions with each other, but that we would be in each other's life and praying for each other and encouraging each other. And this is a great time if you're not in a group to be a part of that. You can find about a way to get in touch with us at bridges.info. We want everybody in a group. And uh, we're showing small group videos for a better story that you can just jump right in, and we'd love for you to be a part of that in our small group ministries. You can also find a way, if you're new, to how to connect with us, how to serve. You can find that at bridges.info. You can also find a way to give securely online. Uh, many of our uh, attenders and members do that. You can find a secure link to be able to do that there. You'll also find a way to, again, jump into some next steps to show compassion to our community. I want to remind you that this Saturday at 8.45 in the morning, uh, there are some of us who are going to be gathered out on the patio to participate in our annual Walk for Life that is supporting Real Options Medical Clinics. This is a wonderful ministry that is meeting some wonderful needs of women who are facing unplanned pregnancies, and we are showing the love of Christ in the best way that we can by partnering with this ministry that are the hands and feet of Jesus and are making a difference in this community. You can find out about that ministry, how to give towards that ministry, because we're raising $12,000 is our goal. We'd love to surpass that. $12,000 as a church that we can then direct towards real options to help their nurses to go through some much-needed ultrasound training to be a part of that. But we're going to have a walk uh, that is connected to uh, what Real Options is doing. If you want to be a part of that, join me and join some of our other uh, church folks out there. It's going to be a beautiful day, I believe, on Saturday. So we'll gather out there at 845. We're going to take about a mile, mile and a half walk. It's 
kind of a prayer walk, but also just a way for us to express our support as other people around the community are going to be walking in support of Real Options. And if you're new, it'd be a way for us to get better acquainted as well. It's a lot of fun. Uh, also, we're going to do our best to put onto bridges.info as soon as possible information if you have questions about the drive next Sunday from 1 to 3. Again, uh, that is being put together by Much Hope. If you have questions about that, you can, uh, about what to bring, how to give, those kinds of things, you can do that uh, by talking to Suresh or Sujana uh, and connecting with Much Hope in that way if you're not already a part of that wonderful ministry. So we hope that you've been encouraged today, folks. There are so many things going on in the life of our world, in the life of our community, and we have an opportunity to be um, a voice to speak into a chaotic situation, not our words, but Jesus' peace and Jesus' words. And so I hope that you and I will take up those opportunities when people are already having those conversations and that we will hopefully see what God will do. I hope you all have a great rest of your week. If you need prayer about anything, please don't hesitate to let us know. God bless you all. Thank you.